The Cap Table sponsor is First Bank, a bank not only known for being at the forefront of community banking since 1906, but one that is becoming well known as setting the bar for banking innovation. First Bank is helping pave the way for blockchain applications in the highly regulated financial services sector and is also taking the lead in ushering in a new era of banking. Headquartered in Nashville, First Bank is not just a thought leader. They're the bank people think of when they're ready to take their next big leap. First Bank. Bank local. Get more. Member FDIC. What's up, everybody? I'm Garrett Elmore, co-founder, tech entrepreneur, and alternative asset investor. And I'm Haley Sapolsky, a.k.a. Zap, venture capital fundraiser, startup community builder, and blockchain enthusiast. And we're bringing to you The Cap Table, the podcast with intricate investor conversations you've never heard before. From angel investors to partners in billion-dollar funds, we talk with the people who are daring enough to put their own money into something or someone else. The people who take risks, build empires, and focus on gaining success. You can listen to us on all social media platforms. Subscribe to The Cap Table to follow along and learn more about investing. For hundreds of years, banking has been... For lack of a better term, boring. In today's episode of The Cap Table, we sit down with Chief Innovation Officer of First Bank, Wade Peary. As a career banker turned innovator, Peary leverages his 30 plus years of banking to transform the industry with blockchain, smart contracts, and digital assets, pioneering a new way for banking. Welcome, everyone, to the Cap Table Podcast. This is our first time at this space, and I'm uh, super pumped to, to have everyone listening in. Um, super special guest here. We have the CIO, Chief Innovation Officer at First Bank, Wade Peary. Um, thanks for coming on, Wade. Well, thanks for having me. Love your show, and not so sure about a super special guest, but happy to be here and be first. <laughs> to, to us, it's a special guest, um, just because we, uh, we, we've we been talking a lot with you. I mean, obviously, you guys are, are you know a huge supporter of our podcast. Um, I mean, and, and all the listeners that we have um, who, who can kind of you know, listen about your story and see what you guys um, are doing and here in Nashville and mainly the Southeast. I mean, it's it's truly amazing. So I'm really excited to jump in that story. Yeah, yeah, hopefully everyone has been hearing First Bank when they listen and now they get to know a little bit of behind what that actually right. means. Right. But it might be good to start, you know, just talking about you and you're a Tennessee guy, right? I'm a Tennessee guy. I grew up an hour from here. Oh, really? I've always lived in Middle Tennessee. Uh, it's, I've always called it home. Uh, so my background, you know, it's an interesting story how I get to this place. But, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a gen- genetics in some some sort of way. My mother was a banker. Oh, okay. No right? way. My mother goes to work in a small-town bank when she's 18 years old. 38 years later, she retires as president of that very bank. So I think I get this, you know, honestly. Uh, and, and so I, I <laughs> fell into the path. Yeah, so Hohenwald, Tennessee, that, that's home for me. That's associated with the Elephant Sanctuary most days. But anyway, that's What's home. the actual name of the city? That's it, Hohenwald. Oh, Hohenwald. I thought you said hole in the wall. Well, you know, I get that one often, too. And there's an <laughs> elephant sanctuary? There is an elephant sanctuary in Hohenwald, wow. Tennessee, yeah. And it was, it's been there since you were growing up and everything, uh, too? Or? It's been there since, you know, 25 years, maybe. I don't know. That may not be exactly right, but it's been there a while. Dang. That's a weird claim to fame. Right, That's it cool. is sort of odd. But, uh, yeah, so I grew up in Middle Tennessee, um, managed to make my way over to MTSU, played football there for a now Hall of Fame football coach, Boots Donnelly. Wow. And, and the the other half of the story that gets me to banking is I have a knee injury following my freshman year. And so I'm rehabbing, staying in Murfreesboro, and I can't go out and work in in in, in, in a hard labor job, so they get me a yeah. job in a bank. So he helps me get a job in a bank, which fast forward uh, six or seven years later, after I'm out of school for a while, I go back to work for the same guy that hired me in the bank. So I, there, it was meant to be, had to be. Right. What was your first gig? What were you doing? 
Uh, the very first one, so being, being that my mother was in the bank, I worked part-time in the summers. And so, you know, I was really good at rolling coin and uh, <laughs> delivering the mail and things like that. But, you know, I also did a lot of just filling in for folks who were on vacation during the summer. And so I, did, I knew there was a two-tier banking system when I was 15 years old. Yeah. I understood the Federal Reserve and wires and all those things. And so I didn't know everybody didn't know that stuff, you know, how money moves around in our country. I mean, that was just second nature That's because so I'd worked And a lot it. of times they don't even teach that type of stuff in college, to be honest. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many bankers don't really know how it all really works uh, in the I background. I can believe that. And not a lot's changed, actually, in all those years. So. Wow. I mean, yeah, so so 15 years old, you started getting into banking. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, what a dream, right? Probably, you know, growing up. But it's probably saw, you know, stuff that your mom was doing, um, you know, and, and probably the point of working her way up to president of, of a bank. It's, did. it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool thing to do. So um, so graduated from MTSU, and then what? what? Were you finally back into the banking? I mean, has this been your, your whole career? Almost my entire career, back into banking for a while. I, I stepped out of banking for about five years, and out of and this will start to explain part of this story. Uh, I actually started one of the first internet service providers. This is this is something that's going to fascinate you all. Um, in 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 five rural counties. So here's my. I love this question. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I was in banking before there was an internet. Mm-hmm. And before there was a cell phone. I have a very hard right. time imagining so, that, but you I two know don't it. even know about <laughs> You've never lived life when there wasn't internet. Right. And, right. So, so all those things. So uh, this is mid-90s, and there's no dial-in internet. Where you're, you're dialing into 14.4 bald modems, right? And if you're in a small community, you're not, you don't have access. So uh, with a couple of friends of mine who had some technical expertise, we figured out how to do that. And we created a company and sold it to, sold half that company to an electric cooperative and served five counties with internet service for a number of years and went on and sold that company. And uh, I'll say this story we won't dig into, but I owned a motorcycle dealership for 12 years and did a few other things. So there's a bit of an entrepreneurial streak in here that you just wouldn't see. Uh, And you know, walked in one day to the motorcycle dealership and had a phone call. And uh, that phone call was from my former boss at the bank and said, hey, we need a new president for the bank. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and so about a month goes by of him calling. And so I sit down and talk and, you know, probably made it, not probably made the right choice, right, to, to go back into banking. Uh, and so I'm mid-30s and I'm, you know, president of this bank and the same one my mother had retired from in small town. Really? Still in Hollenwald. Uh Anyway, so anyway, that that just parlayed into getting back to Nashville and the banking business. And then I had an opportunity to go to work for First Bank almost ele- right at 11 years ago. Uh, and so that's been an awesome uh, experience and, wow. you know, helping grow that entity. What was your first role with First Bank? How did you get started? So I came over in 2012 uh, to help them build out a treasury management, cash management platform for their co- corporate customers. And so 2012 to 2014, 2014, I, I took on all of bank operations, IT and all that. Uh, I think 2018, I became the chief administrative officer and then in just this past year, um, is, and we'll talk about some of the forward-looking things on our mind, mm-hmm. um, shed a good bit of that responsibility and, and took on chief innovation officer. And we've taken a real ground-up, build it ground-up inside a bank, um, really learning how to innovate. Right, right. Do and- most banks have a CIO even? Uh, you're seeing more and more of that. Uh, but no, I would anticipate it's relatively a novel concept. Well, I think too when I hear CIO, I think of Chief Investment right. Officer, right? Well, and and yeah. a lot of people do, but so that's why I, you know, we make it clear that innovations is is. Uh, but it, but you think about it, it's actually a, a, an undervalued and like new role probably that's coming in, and that yeah. more banks and are starting to to adapt to, right? Uh, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So you see CIO is chief information officer, investment officer, all right. those iterations of mm-hmm. it. And what we do, um, I, I think the best way to describe what we do at our company, number one, I think any institution um, that's going to be relevant in, in long-term relevancy, um, you got to be forward-looking. You have to be now. And, mm-hmm. and that means you're not just competing with the banks down the street. You're competing with fintechs. You're competing with the large uh, conglomerates who are – unbundling banking services and reselling those back to our customers. 
so we we thought about that a lot as we rolled into our uh, 2021 strategic planning and just said, hey, we need to we need to really get serious about what comes next. And you know, innovation isn't always a, an invention, right? It it, mm-hmm. it it some days it's just what's the next thing we need to be thinking about, and it's really about taking our banking strategy, our business model. And layering in technology that enables it uh, and causes efficiency and causes great customer experience and great associate experience. So it's not always about invention. Now we do some things on that on that front. We are <laughs> we are quite curious some days, but uh, yes. Well, but I was going to say before we get to maybe what you're looking ahead to, can you start by telling us maybe the history of First yeah, Bank? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I love to. This is a great story. Uh, so founded in 1906, mm. Scotts Hill, Tennessee. It wow. was. It, yes. I don't even know where Scotts Hill is. So it's just uh, it's kind of halfway between Parsons and Lexington, just to the south. Okay. Okay. So you're other side of the Tennessee River. Uh, it was uh, founded Farmer State Bank, which was for for local farmers. Uh, so okay, we're cool. we're working on 117 years now, and that company um, existed up until 1984, which it it changed hands in '84, which is where Jim Ayers bought half of that company at that time. In 1988, he bought all of that bank. So in 1988, he's a 100% shareholder. In 2016, uh, so back up to 1988, it's, yep. it's, or 84, it's roughly a $14 million, with an M, dollar asset bank. All right, so go forward to 2016, we go public as a $2.3 billion asset bank. Today, we're roughly $13 billion. So it's a great story of just iteration, evolution, uh, innovation, entrepreneurial you know, thinking. And, and I think that's another sort of, it's embedded in this company to think that yeah. way. Right. Was that buyer just a big banking entrepreneur historically? Or was this his first go at expanding and growing First Bank? Um, so in 84, it was, yeah, it was his first entry into banking. Jeez. And then grew it from 14 million to, uh, 13 billion. 13 billion. Right. There so you go. A, so there, there are not a lot of companies, if you think about it, that are around that long and right. can iterate such a and, legacy and there. evolve, right? And so we're at a size where we're super nimble, mm-hmm. but we're big enough to have scale and we're big enough to have, you know, resources and things that right. we were able to do. And then, and then, I want to talk about like for for our listeners to understand like the the changes that the banking has had from 1906 to 2023. Um, like like how do you guys have to adapt? Um, how how does that change for the customers and able to help them you know yeah. move along with that too? Well, bankers aren't traditionally known as innovators. And, and not wrong, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I think a couple of things happened there. I mean, we're we've we're heavily regulated and we're chartered institutions. And I think this is part of where um, all these years in banking helped me to think about the future. So I've seen this movie before. I saw the internet come to the banking. I saw cell phones become smartphones. Right? They only used to make a phone call. You probably don't even remember those days. Uh, <laughs> And so we've we have because of that we've created where we have two really big problems in banking today that just you you can bucket almost everything we're fighting in, in two buckets. One, all our technologies was built before the internet, so we run all these batch mode platforms. Um, nothing really works in real time. We make it work in real time, but it doesn't. And because it's so old, we have all these silos of data. And, and that's where a lot of the expense comes into banking is because we've got data silos, uh, for example, where merchants have to, where, or when merchants accept payments, card swipes, mm-hmm. they're paying 3%, right? That's right, right out of their margin, 3%. The reason is it's so costly is it just takes so many intermediaries to validate those transactions because we're siloed. So those are, those are a couple of things we're fighting. Um, so as we just think about it, we're about to go through what I believe because I've seen this movie before, I think we're going to see another really evolutionary period here because we're going to a new payment rail with Fed now, which means real-time bank settlement between banks. We're going to see digital assets. We are going to see distributed ledger technology. It's all going to happen. Uh, so I don't know, is this a significant enough change to see another industrial revolution? I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, but it's going to be meaningful. So if you have 
that entrepreneurial spirit in an organization and you are forward looking and you can see these things now coming because you have the mm-hmm. a little bit of gray hair that tells you it'll happen again. Right. I think that's the, that's the recipe that really comes together for us. And those three different things, can you almost explain it like you're explaining to like a grandma, like what's going to change for her baking experience that y'all are working on? Yes, and my mother asked me that question. And that's a good one, yeah. We're not gonna go, we're not gonna have that lesson. Um, <laughs> and here's the reason why. Um, I don't think you're gonna see things change in the way you do your banking, right? Okay. You, but you're gonna see the banks in the background be, begin to understand how to improve and, and reiterate services using distributed ledger or using new payment rails. All those things are changing. Mm-hmm. So our payment rails are 50 years old, by the way. That's, right. that's another piece of the problem. And All banks? So, the, the, well, the, the, the two things, the two ways we move money around in our country that support our economy, mm-hmm. ACH right. mm-hmm. and WIRE, yep. both those technologies were built in the 70s. Mm. So if you think about it, let's think about an international wire for a second. I can send data to the other side of the earth in a millisecond. It takes four to five days to send money. Does that make sense? Right? There's right. better ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an ACH payment takes at least two days to settle. Mm-hmm. All right? So, again, domestically, I mean, it, it's just there. It, it's ripe to be uh, reinvented, reiterated. So That makes so much sense. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about it that way. Right. right. So so we're working with—so that's why I think there's a big, bigger evolution on the on the horizon because what we're working with— we're at that point of diminishing returns. We can't make ACH work any faster, and we can't make wire work any faster. It's going to take a different technology. And so the Federal Reserve is developing what's called FedNow, which would, would deliver instant settlement 24-7, 365 between banks. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to build on top of that. And then you have distributed ledger, which will deliver the exact same results. In addition, we'll be able to use smart contracts to build efficiencies and automation into that. So distributed ledger isn't for everything in banking, but wow. for certain things, yeah, uh, I think it will lend us the opportunity to innovate and extract considerable cost out of the do, back Do end. you guys? I think this is a perfect question. Just talking with with banks and you know coming from the direct source. I mean, do you guys use or have any future of using blockchain or um, anything within that crypto world um, apart? I don't know. Is blockchain? This is. I need. You probably. This is more like my lane. (laughs) But 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 I think of blockchain as in smart contracts. Yeah. And stuff like that. Is that? Can you explain what a smart contract is? Maybe is the good starting question. Yeah, but I do want to come back and answer that. Mm -hmm. First of all, there's a difference. Let me say this. There's a difference in crypto. Let's put that to the side. We won't know. We're not involved in crypto, right? Yeah, just, at all. I'm gonna cut that out. Uh, <laughs> uh, we don't. We don't. Well, we don't want to expose the banking system to the greater crypto ecosystem because of what just happened. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So, where, where where this gets to be super valuable is if you think about a use case, for example, and I'm gonna explain smart contract. Um, whereas it just takes supply chain, for example, I have a purchase order that turns into a manufacturing order, which turns into an invoice and a shipment, which turns into a payment. So these these mm-hmm. swim lanes, if you will. If you think about blockchain technology and distributed ledger, all those things can happen in a linear sequence, right? I can put a, I can program a smart contract at the very beginning of that that says, when these goods are delivered and I have a signature that I trust and accept, then I can initiate payment and I can settle that on chain. So I can use a smart contract to put computer logic alongside a payment. If then what happens, then I can execute a payment. So if you think about all the accounts payable expense and accounts receivable expense and all ends of that, you begin to take swim lanes and make them linear, and you include payments into other actions. Um, so that that's really from a smart contract standpoint. Here's, here's what we're doing in uh, working hard at this. So we're one of five banks that founded the USDF Consortium alongside Figure Technologies. What's what's the USDF? The USDF consortium is a group of banks. Uh, there are nine banks in in the consortium today. Really, overarching goal is to bring blockchain technology into banking, mm-hmm. the technology itself. And to do that, we obviously have to be able to transact on blockchain, which means we have to we have to develop and and put together a means by which to have a dollar in a token form. 
a deposit token, if you will. Sure. And what uh, a lot of work to be done there, but we have a full-blown test environment that doesn't interact at all with, with our production environment. So we've been able to work on a project that we are able to move money from a checking account to a, to, to a tokenized form, use a smart contract to cause that to transact, and then we burn that token. So we don't create a stable coin per se. We just use the chain, just use the blockchain for a payment rail, if you will. Right. All right. So uh, those are all things we've done in in in, uh, in a test environment, just to understand, you know, is this even a viable path forward? And what we've learned is um, we create quite a lot of efficiency in doing that. Sure. Number one, we've learned that we can build controls to adhere to anti-money laundering, Bank Secrecy Act, protect personal information. We can do all those things. Uh, so we, we're, we're, we're at a point today, we, we're, we would like to do a very progressive sort of testing program, meaning we'll do a, we'd just love to, you know, be able to execute a test where we illustrate the, how the smart contract works and the token of works and all those things. Mm-hmm. And, and, but we have to and are quite willing to and want to include the regulators. So we're not doing that without asking their permission. So that's kind of where we are today. Um, and the regulators have a burden that's, that's tough for them right now because as you're seeing what happened with FTX and what's going, going on with Silvergate Bank, oh, yeah. there's clearly – a, a risk of contagion into the system. So while everybody's kind of reeling from what's going on there and getting their legs under us, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very slow process. But that's, those are the kind of things we're working on. So if we can uh, come, come to, um, you know, a place where we've developed that technology with the right controls around it mm-hmm. and we don't need to relax regulation, we're not asking for any of those things. We're, sure. we're building things inside the regs. We think we think not only can we help the banking service and product suite, but we think the regulatory uh, view of things will be even be better. So, so, so you guys essentially are, are creating a coin um, that's not going to be outward facing to to the public to use, and you're going to be using as like someone as an intermediary uh, between the the processing of it and the customers. Um, Payment. Am I understanding that exactly right? right? Back to back to what does my mom need to know? You won't know, right? It's just a, it's yeah, just okay. a different exactly. way of moving. So you'll you'd still see your same. All you see is your money kind of shows up mm-hmm. faster, but on the back end, it's almost like a hold in a sense. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Um, yeah, which just, is just do it differently. Just, so, just okay. using technology, not not right. crypto, not touching any of those things. We just we just know that blockchain technology create some significant efficiencies, and that's one of the places we know that can happen. And that's what's so difficult with kind of this, these buzzwords right now is they're all sort of grouped together, right. and I think so many people don't. 100%. They're, they're very skeptical case of, of crypto, <laughs> and they don't realize that's totally this separate thing from just instituting blockchain as a technology. Right. They're it's just not the same, you know? Yeah. I think where the, the easiest way to think, the, the most simple way to think about it for me is from a, from a legislative and a regulatory perspective, <laughs> provide rules and regulate activities don't regulate technology per se. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't make technology uh, off limits. We need to innovate, and the banking industry needs to innovate. When you hear about 50-year-old payment rails, we need to do this, right? right. And so we're one of the folks who, uh, who are at the table really thinking about possibilities and what can be done. You know, so. Right. And then, and then going back to like banks as a whole and, um, and the way kind of to separate yourself from a part, um, from others and stuff, like what— what is that key differentiator between First Bank and, and others right now um, that, that you guys are trying to do versus them? Um, I think it's really a mindset of commitment, you know, to be relevant long term. We, we haven't been around for 116 or 17 years because we haven't done that. Right. Uh, so it really starts with a top-down mindset at the board and executive level. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the recognition that, um, we can we can hide and hope for the best, or we can step out now and do some things. So it starts there, uh, and I don't know that all banks think that way. It's you know mm-hmm. we're we're trained by nature to. I mean we're bankers. Our business is really about managing risk. 
Right. Right. We totally we sell loans and deposits, but we really don't manage risk. And what can happen in a highly regulated environment, you go from low risk to no risk. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you think about that, this runs against the grain. I mean, you're going to take some risk here. Right. Uh, not necessarily risk against the uh, um, in a regulatory sense or on the business side, but you're going to take some financial risk. You're going to compete some resources, so you're going to have some expense. And so it starts there, and I, I think that's different. And then we have a committed a team. This is I think this is very. I hear this a lot. This is this is one of the things I hear from folks. The innovation team at First Bank uh, are all really seasoned, experienced bankers. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not technologists, and so they're able to. Think about current state. They understand technology and blockchain and, and, and other things out there, and they're able to connect the dots. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes this team different. It's not uh, technologists in the back office trying to, in the back dark room, trying to create stuff. Yeah. Right. We're actually taking on real things that we know don't work well or mm-hmm. could be better. Uh, we spend a lot of time outside of our four walls traveling, you know, to spend time with technologists and other banks that think like us. And so um, we're able now to come back and, and help our, you know, folks that run the, the day-to-day businesses think about things differently, show them different sure. ways of doing things. And, um, you know, we, we also uh, have a what I'll refer to as a strategic venture fund. And I put the word strategic in front of that because it is for early-stage investment, but it, it's for things that are really um, aligned with our our business model or right. our strategy. Uh, and so we have several uh, opportunities working there that are things that we just know don't work well in banking, and we have folks with great ideas, so we bring them in and do some mentoring and some funding. Sure. Uh, so I think just a, just all of those things combined, our digital assets, our, our willingness to commit capital, and our willingness to commit some seasoned people to this exercise is probably puts us in a in a very uh, small group of banks that think like that. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to kind of innovations you're looking at, is it more often that you identify a problem and you're going out and looking for a technology solution, or are you more just going and trying to find edgy people doing <laughs> innovative stuff and being like, oh, well, this would be cool for our bank, or is it both? What does that look like? Um, it's more of strategy-driven, right? So we know what we want to accomplish, and we know what lines of business we want to work in and things like that. So it starts there, and it's just so strategy-driven. Mm-hmm. Um and then it then it could become this is a problem that we can't really find a good answer to, mm-hmm. and and then we may you know entertain either we'll we'll put together a concept in our in our inside of our shop and 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 try to find the right folks to help us put it together, or we may run across something that we go well, you know what that is a problem, so we see it a couple of different ways, and. Um, that's been interesting for us. We recently, and this is a great example of one of the one of the really things we're really excited about. Um, you know, affordable housing in in our countries is a problem right now, and we're in the manufactured housing business. We have been for a long time. We bought Clayton Bank back in 2018, which was Clayton Bank associated with Clayton Homes. Okay, uh, not you know same uh, founder, and so when we did that, we also inherited a really uh, seasoned and experienced team in that space. So we're the seventh largest lender in the manufactured housing space in the country. And we like that business. We know that business. Uh, and so we, we we have a strategic initiative to grow that business. Right. Uh, one of the real problems there is nobody's paid attention to that space with technology. And it is just archaic yeah. stuff. And, and so we set out, built a concept, uh, really started leaning in with a developer and, and came across a company that had literally built exactly what we'd put on the whiteboard. And we went, well, that's great. Uh, and so after several months of conversations, what we what we learned was company, the name of the company is Zippy MH. Okay. That Zippy. We, Zippy, yeah, right. We were Zippy better MH. together than to compete. Right. And so this 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 company, uh, a couple of bankers had found in this company. And they had really removed the friction from buying a manufactured home in a in a community, and so we made a, a, an investment in their company and have shared. We so we can share a lot of our best practices as they've got the tech and we've got the experience, and that's turned into a really really good uh, partnership. And uh, quite pleased with where that's headed. So that's an example of something that's dead down the middle. 
It was right. something we wanted to do. Uh, we knew it would take us a couple of years to build tech, and then, but we found the right partnership. Yeah. And so we leaned in with those folks and uh, going quite well. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. If I would imagine a lot of the big banks are have their tech team building internally. And like you said, the banking industry, obviously the technology, there would be a technologist within it, but they're not necessarily known to be as innovative just because a lot of the tech they are used right. to building on is pretty old school. So instead going outside of the four walls and kind of recruiting more of the entrepreneurial minds who are building things that the bank can use. Yeah, you said that really well. The um, if, you, if you think about bank, banks and especially our size, you're not going to find a lot that have really highly functioning DevOps shops. Yeah, sure. Expensive, um, not our expertise. And candidly, technologists don't want to work for banks necessarily. So <laughs> I'm over that one. Uh, <laughs> You've been there, done yeah, that. Been there, done. Uh, and so if we could we could choose to spin up a DevOps shop and run one product project over the next two years, but if you think about what we can actually probably be more effective with is let's take our capital and let's yeah, let's sure. let's run multiple projects. Uh, we have a team of folks who have deep experience in 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 this area in terms of dealing with technology because we've we've same folks that that are a key part of the innovation team ran six bank acquisitions over a five-year period. So they learned a lot about how to bring technology online and how to how to deal with customer impact and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, we 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 didn't we don't want to it's just it's speed to market's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Right. You you'll be years building where you can be months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wanna now transition into uh an, an instrumental part with First Bank. I mean where where do you guys see you this bank going in the next five to ten years? Like, what's your long term goal? Um, you know, what like, is the strategic yeah. plan? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, first I'll say this: it starts with 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 long term, right? So we're in this for the long term. A lot of what we're doing today <laughs> is building to the future. Um, you know, we went on that growth run that we went from two billion to twelve billion in a five year period. So six <laughs> x your size, you know. Uh, we're building infrastructure that can take us far into the future. How, how do you how do you go from two billion to sixteen billion or twelve billion, which, whichever one it was? I can't remember. Um, well, well, how, how do you get there so quick? Yeah, well, you don't stop and think about it for very long because you wouldn't do it otherwise. <laughs> uh, right. No, you know, it, it, very methodically, we've done that through acquisition, mm. and mm-hmm. and we very thoughtfully you know, manage those and we want good fits and, and right geographies. And, and there's a whole strategy wrapped around acquisition. Um, and then, of course, good execution, you know, when sure. you do those things. So it, once you've done a couple, it becomes almost routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the technical side does. There's always, you know, it's always a, a, high, a high level of work around the people side, which is, you know, but but we like – we. We're relationship-based banks and, you know, a bank. And, and so we think about it uh, from a people's side that's most important. Anyway, how do you do that? You do it in a hurry. Uh, right. and, and some of that was opportunistic. You know, things came to us that made a lot of sense for us over the long term. See, I would always want to be a part of a bank acquisition because normally when you acquire a company, you go to a bank. But then when banks are, you know, acquiring other banks, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about, right. you know. It is, and you think about it. I mean, banks, you know, you don't go buy banks. They're sold when they're ready to be sold. Right. And so we, you know, we we spend a lot of time building relationships with with folks around the state of Tennessee and mm-hmm. other areas that are, that are, you know, close to our geography. And um, we try to be, we, we want to be a preferred partner when that time comes if somebody's ready to exit. So. Sure. Yeah. And, and are you guys going to be switching more to, before we get back into the long-term vision, I know we took a different route, but... Um, we be transitioning from brick and mortar to to more of a um, you know technology based or, or do you think this brick and mortar is here to stay um, yeah. within banks or what, do, what does that look like? I love that question. Um, one of my favorites. So if you really can think forward, um, a couple you just have to decide where you land on this one. Number one, <laughs> we land on this point first and foremost. People will always be part of the equation. People are the most important part of the equi- most important part of the equation. Relationships will always cause things to happen in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, you'll have bricks and mortar. Uh, you're going to have 
community-based. We think about community banking as a style of banking, not a small bank, right? Mm -hmm. It's a way of doing business where we know our customers and you know us and you pick up the phone and you talk to us. Uh, So as we think about that, we also understand that, you know, digital is a big piece of convenience, right, for people. And as we're looking forward, we're, we're, as we speak right now, thinking about uh, we're laying roadmaps out today or over the next few months that really enable people to bank with people but bring the convenience. And that is a really hard thing to do. Sure. Uh, and, and it comes down to this. This is my most simple way of thinking about this. Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether it's in person or digital, I need to make sure that decisions get made as close to the customer as I can. Mm. Right. And you can do that, you can do that in many ways. So when we when we're thinking about technology, uh, we want to have access to people, but hey, if you'd rather do it through self-service, do it that way. Mm-hmm. But when you have a problem, it's when you're gonna need us. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that to be red tape. And so we think about how do we, whether whether you come through a call center or a chat function or you walk into a branch, we want to make sure decisions can happen and things can get done. So that's it's just, it's just how we think about it. Right. Uh, and it's not, it's not an easy thing to engineer by any stretch. Right. I mean, you know, because if the, the, it was, it would have already been done, right? And that's right. people would have already jumped on the bandwagon, right. but, you know, it takes time. So we think, yeah, so we think about things like just new account opening, for example, um, through the digital. We don't think about a digital channel and a branch channel. It's just a it's just a, it's just an account opening, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with technology today, we could pipe all of that through a digital branch. We could we could take the zip code where the person lives and bring it to a physical location where they've got a banker local. Office. So there's a, so local. There's all those things you can think about now mm-hmm. because it, it technology enables that. Right. Uh, I, I hope we're 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 one of the few that are, are leaning into that idea, but probably not. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's those are some of the things you just start. You stop just thinking, well, digital, digital, and branch is branch. It's really, you, you, how can I bring those together, right, so right. it makes sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it's to, to me, you know, people probably, again, um, back in the, the 80s only associated with um, with brick and mortar, but personally, you know, like, me and you, I don't know the last time I've walked into a bank door and, you know, outside of maybe opening a business bank account. Right. Other, other than that, you know, you still have to set up meetings for that. Um, I go sometimes and me? they, like, act confused. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I swear on my life, last time I walked into a bank, they were like, what are you here for? <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? Like, I am kind of convinced that some of these Larger banks, like their brick and mortar locations, is just <laughs> marketing right. and branding. It, they really don't expect or push people to like to come in. Right. That's my a little bit of a conspiracy theory, <laughs> but it's when I go in and they're like surprised and they didn't even like, know how, how to help you. They yeah. didn't even yeah. know what how to help me, and I was like, okay. Yeah. I wanted to open an account and they couldn't do it. You know, a couple things have happened. COVID, for for one thing, pushed people further down the digital path. And we saw teller transactions fall dramatically and never come back. So we saw that just like everyone else did. Uh, But I I think, you know, we did a survey a couple years ago and we did in-person focus groups. So we sat behind the mirror and listened. And this this question came up. And... Uh, routinely, what we would hear what would would be, but I have more confidence if there's a sign in the air. I don't want to go there, but there's a bank, there's a building there, there's people there. There's this this bank really exists. So yeah, it was a true, confidence true. thing. Uh, and uh, and as you you see a lot of that transition of probably what's happening with your experiences, you're you're seeing a lot of this brick and mortar <laughs> turn into an advisory sort of place to go, yep. right? To go sit down with an investment advisor or somebody for small business advice or consider whatever it is. Uh, much less demand, I think, over time for just that new account opening because you can do it on your phone. Why, why, why are you going to get in the car and drive to a branch when right. you don't have to? Right. Uh, or you got a problem and you really need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Or you got a life event that you just need advice for, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we— we understand, you know, hey, you can't leave that to a chat bot or something, sure. right? People have to work with people. Yeah, and then and then who, I mean, I, mean, I guess with First Bank, who is kind of your um, 
as you're as you're trying to be more innovative, who, who are you trying to target the most? Um, like like what's your type of subset uh, ideal customer um, as you start to transform? Great question. Um, so I'll tell you, there's two things that if in, in when I said community style banking earlier is is a style, not a small bank, meaning not a small bank. Um, we have branches, we have markets, and and where we have those um, physical locations, we have great bankers. So we work hard to connect to the community. I say that because then you become more of a generalist, right? We're there to serve the community. That's going to be consumer. That's going to be small business. Could be corporate and, you know, in in some of the larger areas. It could be any number of things. So we work we work in a way so we can serve everybody, everyone. And and then we have another uh, a thought where we have more, I'll, I'll say, more of a vertical think, thought process where we actually can put up some parameters around a particular customer set, yep. like manufactured housing. So 4.3 million uh, home sites across the country in developed communities. So one of the things on our whiteboard, you know, just last week is how do we offer banking services to that population? Sure. They're not of credit distressed or, I mean, it's it's a great population of folks to bank. So we'll think about digital more where that's not geographic and maybe regional or even a national operation. So that would would be an example of manufactured housing that that we work on and are working on some other things that um, we'll see where they take us, but... Right, more digital based, and I'll be curious to to see how technology and very rural people will go hand in hand. You know, because out in uh, Hodenwall, you know, Tennessee, uh, probably aren't using blockchain a lot, right? And so it'll be a learning curve too, right? You know, it's interesting. I think it um, even it really community size is more generational mm-hmm. than anything. True. I mean, you know, if you grew up on a cell phone, a smartphone, or Whatever that's what you do, yeah. and um, you know, I don't. There's, there's, you don't. It's not as dramatic of a difference as you might think. Yeah. Population, age, and things like that drive that more than anything. Well, you know what's funny too is, is we talk about technology, and it's uh, really the first iPhone was created in 2008, maybe 2006 or something. Mm-hmm. And so, just think about how quickly things have transformed within that amount of time versus you know um, talking about banking being around for you know. Your first bank, a hundred years, right? That's right. where I think this technology shift will happen a lot faster than those past a hundred years. You know, this could, could come up in the next ten. So, well, I think that's where I used the term industrial revolution uh, earlier, and I, I've said this to people before, but I find mm-hmm. myself have I've turned into this nerd because I'm I find myself one Sunday afternoon watching the Titans and researching industrial revolution to try to understand what that really means. And I didn't know there had already been three, right? Right. I thought there was one. Uh, <laughs> I didn't either. But I, yeah, so it's real fascinating. Go 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 do a little homework there. Mm-hmm. But what it what it comes down to, two things happen. Run one, it's that law of diminishing returns. In other words, you've done all you can do with the tools you have. Sure. And then something comes along, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, we couldn't, you know, communication and all those things couldn't evolve a whole lot more, but the internet happens. Mm-hmm. And it takes us to a whole new wave. And if you track all that back, it, it, it all comes back to the transistor in Silicon Valley, and just, it's fascinating. But are we there again? Will, will that happen now with blockchain? Maybe, I don't know. Distributed ledger will have uh, a huge impact on global economy. Right. And so... Maybe, uh, but yeah. I was curious to ask actually how you sort of educate yourself to stay on the cutting edge and up to date with new technology. Yeah, if I say YouTube, will you? No, wow. YouTube has great stuff. Uh, listen, Are you kidding me? This is going on YouTube. I learned how to fix everything on my truck on YouTube. On YouTube. This you podcast, know, yeah, YouTube. Yeah, everything yeah, is on so, YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, most of what we've learned like, in finance has been a lot of YouTube. Right. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's fascinating. There's no real book. There's no roadmap. There's no class to take in this space right now. Right. And it's yeah. it's more chaos and noise and misinformation than accurate information. Uh, so I, I had a technologist friend who said you should pay attention this a couple years ago. And so I started paying attention. Um, <laughs> I've watched thousands of hours of YouTube on digital assets of all shape, form, and fashion. Uh, learned, I mean, literally, I've read the Bitcoin white paper, the Ethereum white paper. I read white papers of yeah. all things. <laughs> uh, that is bad. Uh, 
read a lot of pipe papers. But then I also just took some money, put it on, on an exchange, bought some digital assets, and started learning how to stake and all the, all that, all oh, the wow, things, yeah. right? So you learn all these things, and um, you don't realize how much you know or don't know. Um, and, and the opportunity presented itself for <laughs> us to be a part of the USDF consortium, largely because I'd just sat down and taken the time to do all that, and mm. it was fascinating. So, so it starts as a personal interest, and then I begin to realize, hey, DeFi is banking all over again right. with no wrapper on it, if you will, and no, and no risk controls around it, by the way. <laughs> uh, and so, but it replicates banking, and so there's got to be an intersection there somewhere. Yeah. And just continue to learn and study and um, spend time with folks who are experts on blockchain and, and you know, having so much interaction with it and exposure to it, you're also exposed to the people that know it really well. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so being really curious, it just, you absorb it over some time. And, and is that, was that a part of um, your role in the past or, or is that, you know, as you kind of adapted into the CIO role, you're like, okay, we got to figure out a way to, to yeah. adapt to this. And that's when kind of you got interested in it or was it? No, know? so I think that was probably part of what would, what helped me, you know, make, which was a career decision, right? Sure. To, to step off into an innovation role at this point in my career to go, can I reinvent myself again? Um, was I, I literally realized things are going to change in a massive way. Yeah. And I could remember the days when we sat around tables in, in the banking space, said this internet thing, nobody's ever going to do mm-hmm. their financial business. Nobody's going to bank on the internet, right? Right. Well, that wasn't exactly <laughs> right. Uh, and so I, I can I just think there is massive change coming. It will come slowly. Um, the problem today is the chaos versus the truth, you know. So yeah, all that all that was personal turned into a business interest, which, you know, all things being equal got me really excited about taking a step into an innovation role in the sure. company. And what I love about the USDF consortium is that you know, you're playing your role as first bank, but it really is all these banks kind of working together to say, hey, this industry is changing. Like, we need to push for these updates to stay relevant. And you're really part of the bigger picture, you know? Agree. And, and getting exposed to the bigger picture. And if, you know, if this is going on quietly, in, in some respects quietly, uh, the restricted liability network test that's going on today with the, the largest, I think, top eight banks are involved in the New York Fed. So you've got JPM and City and those folks working on digital assets. And I think at the end of the day, what comes out of that is JPM's going to need a coin that's ubiquitous with City that's that, that can sure. be used interchangeably if blockchain's going to really get to the place where we get the efficiencies. So the USDF consortium is a way for community banks to be able to plug into all that. Mm-hmm. A, we've got two tiers of membership. One is just a, a, an associate-type membership where you get access to learn. And the other is, is actually to be able to participate. So the, the nine banks that are um, full-blown members are doing a lot of interact, a lot of work, and interact often with the regulators and legislators and, and those kind of things. So, a lot of thought leadership going on that will benefit the industry at the end right. of the day. Yeah, but somebody has to. God, that's so it. that's so interesting to me. I mean, and so I guess because you know we're we're getting close to to the end here, I, I want to focus on you know what what's a good way that you know our listeners, people adapting to this whole you know technology shift. Um, can be a part of this and, and you know, uh, learn more, I guess, about First Bank and and, um, and go from there. Yes, yeah, so we'd love for everybody to bank with us that hears this. Uh, no, I think— uh, I think Everyone couple, join. Yeah, yeah, everyone join. Uh, a couple of things. I mean, we're, we're super friendly to the fintech world, right? We want mm-hmm. to see development happen. A lot of energy in Nashville, a lot of resources in Nashville— uh, and this can be a really great place for us to create and, and do things. So, you know, we want we want to be recognized as uh, supportive of that, number one, and a participant. Um, you know, secondly, I think just for folks listening that have great ideas, we want to hear those things. You know, we recently judged um, the the 1,000 pitches, the Vines program. We judged that for uh, Vanderbilt. Oh, Vanderbilt, yeah. yeah. Cool. And out of that, we, we chose a winner who we asked to come and have lunch with us and just had this great conversation and, and began to talk about his idea, which 
he'd already veered off the idea we chose as the winner. But the second <laughs> idea, we were like, hang on a second. We need you to come back in and sit down with our marketing team. What you're doing is pretty amazing. So, uh, you know, reach out to us and, and share thoughts and ideas because what, what we are doing with, with a very select few um, founders uh, and actually actively doing this, I mean, we're doing the mentoring and the advising for them because, number one, a, we're, we're old and we know a lot about banking. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I think where this gets difficult as a founder is the regulatory environment. Yeah, it's it takes, difficult to sell to banks. Yeah. So being able to work directly with yeah. the bank, you can understand the customer so much better. You, you do, and, and you don't make mistakes that you have to back up and rework because compliance is a must in this industry. So we bring all that expertise, and so you don't make mistakes along the way. Right. And to your point, uh, when when we create things, you know, it's not unusual for me to pick up the phone and call other peers of mine and go, hey, I'm looking at this or that, or what are you guys thinking about? And so we, you know, we have a reach that gets exposure in um, a lot of ways that help distribution later on, so. Oh my gosh! I, I love that you guys are now jumping in to charge on the strategic venture and and you know building companies and founders mm-hmm. and and advising and all that stuff too. That, that says a lot rather than you know right like let's make deposits you know credits you know uh, debits stuff right. like that more so you're you're taking a more active charge yeah. um, in, into not only banking but into actually helping you know businesses grow and stuff like That's that right. too. I definitely think the fintech space in Nashville in particular is growing. Um, You know, the Entrepreneur Center just announced Project Fintech. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be kind of incubating fintech companies. There's a good number here. There's a couple venture funds outside of just First Bank's work investing in fintech. So I, I feel like Middle Tennessee is also a place that's like ripe to innovate within the space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Super cool to hear and, and everything you guys are doing. I mean, Zeb, do you have any other final no. thoughts? Or? Do you have anything else you want to share, Wade? No, I'm just, it's been a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, it's, I didn't know how I would be accepted into the technologist sort of circle because <laughs> I'm just so gray haired banker. Uh, <clears throat> it's been a phenomenal welcome. And so it's been super fun to, to meet, you know, folks around town and all over the, all over right. the country, actually. So thrilled to be here today and, and get to talk about First Bank a bit. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're appreciative of, of what you guys are doing, um, you know, and, and uh, all of our listeners probably the, the same here. So we uh, we love what you guys are doing and uh, super excited to see where this goes in the next five to ten years. Because like I said, I think it'll happen quick yeah. uh, with, uh, with, with the changes that have been going on. So, um, well, Wade, we appreciate it. We'll, we'll round you up here to, uh, to see where we're at. Uh, with with everything else First Bank is doing. But in the meantime, um, go check out First Bank and um, see, see what they're all about. So we appreciate it, Wade. Thank you. Thank you.